So welcome one and all to another special episode of What's the Day Life. Today I have with me uh, the wonderful Miss Martina Clark, uh, who's uh, a great volunteer and has been in this field uh, on the occasion of World AIDS Day. She's a survivor of HIV AIDS and she's been in uh, working with uh, the UN and she's also an author of the wonderful book of my unexpected life it's a great memoir about her life through two different uh, uh, diseases and a pandemic and so before we get into this uh, I'll just give you a brief about what World AIDS Day is where it came from and then probably we get into the uh, nits and gritties of the whole thing so Day is observed on December 1st each year and is dedicated to raising awareness about uh, HIV AIDS pandemic, mourning those who have died from the disease and celebrating the progress that we've made, that the community and the uh, scientific people have made in the prevention, treatment and care of those living with HIV. Uh, this day is an opportunity for people to uh, unite in the fight against HIV to show support for those who are living with it and to commemorate those who have lost their lives to this disease. It was first started, uh, celebrated in 1988, soon after it was first discovered in 1981. And um, Martina here has been surviving, going through it, I think, uh, as far as I've read, 1996, am I correct? 92. Oh, I'm really sorry, 92. <laughs> That's uh, okay. So uh, I'll pass it on to you, Martina. Probably you could uh, tell about yourself better. Sure. So thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Martina Clark, and I have been living with HIV for 31 years. Um, World AIDS Day is turning, I guess, 35 this year. And so I have celebrated as a person with HIV um, all but three of them, I think. And I was looking back at the timeline and I thought it was interesting that in the year I tested positive in 1992, the theme was AIDS, um, let me get it right, a community commitment. Okay. So I think that was sort of a, a rallying call for communities of all sorts to get involved back in, back in the day before we had treatment. And then the theme this year, here is let communities lead. So all these years later, we're still thinking about how communities should be involved. And finally, I think acknowledging that community members should be leading a lot of the work we do. Right. So uh, I've got this tradition of putting the first question for my uh, uh, invitees. So, but then it's not exactly because the question that I asked them is that when, uh, did you know about the day itself before I asked you? But I guess it's not relevant here. So I know, when was the first time you heard about World AIDS Day? So that's a great question. Um, I, when I tested positive, I was living in San Francisco in mm -hmm. California. I lived there for many, many years, which is irrelevant to the story, except for the fact that San Francisco was one of the hardest hit cities in the United States, San Francisco in New York. Um, and there was a great response to the pandemic there. And so people did a lot of work, did a lot of things to try and get people's attention. And so World AIDS Day was absolutely celebrated. Celebrated is not exactly the right word. Commemorated 
I think, Mm -hmm. Uh, certainly back then, um, because we were, it was too soon to have been celebrating advances, but we were commemorating the people we had lost and trying to raise awareness. So I was aware of it probably from the first year that it was, uh, became an international holiday, not holiday, international day of recognition. Um, but I, I was aware and I had a lot of friends, a lot of gay men who were friends who had HIV, mm-hmm. but to be honest, I didn't really see myself in that. And so I think that I probably, I'm sure that I marched in a couple of things on World AIDS Day. I remember doing that and I'm pretty sure I did that before I tested positive. Um, but I was definitely not as involved as I became in 1992. <laughs> so how did the experience change i mean standing for others and then standing for yourself as well and probably bringing people together for the cause yeah it it was very surreal i think is the best way to say that because again it was something i i was aware of around me but i had never seen a woman with hiv that i knew of i probably had but i did not know that i had and so i was just sort of felt like I was the only woman probably on the entire planet earth to get HIV. (laughs) I didn't have a reference point. And this, uh, the commemoration of world AIDS day early on was very much centered around gay men and rightfully so in San Francisco, because that was the hardest hit community to be sure. Um, But so I didn't really see myself belonging. Mm -hmm. Um, and it felt very strange to be changing the words to support people with HIV and know that that suddenly. Yes, sir. I think it took me a while for it to really absorb. Also, because I was one of those really lucky people that I didn't get sick for a very, very long time. So I was tested positive. I had HIV. I was not in denial, but my body wasn't manifesting anything yet. Mm-hmm. So it just felt like this is somebody else's thing, but it's not my thing because my doctor told me it's my thing now. And it took a while to align those messages. And I think that things like World AIDS Day are both, um, I have a very mouthy, loud cat in the background. Sorry if she tries to weigh in on World AIDS Day. But But, um, I think taking part in those events was both scary in a way, because I realized I'm a part of this very big thing that people have to make a lot of noise about. But also it felt very comforting to know I was not alone. Indeed, there were many, many millions, as we know now, millions of people with HIV. So uh, you've basically seen, I mean, uh, the virus itself was first discovered in 1983 and 1984 by two different scientists independently. Uh, but then uh, you've basically seen the whole development process of the whole uh, medical field going through the, from the discovery to where we are today. Uh, how have you seen the uh, medicines change or how has your experience changed for someone living with HIV today? How would you say that the struggle is much better today probably or is it not? Oh, it, it- it is it, certainly in terms of the science, mm-hmm. it's a gazillion times better. 
because when I was tested positive in 92, we didn't have any treatment. Mm -hmm. So my doctor, even though I was like generally still very healthy, my doctor's like, you know, you probably have like five years to live. Okay. I was 28 years old. <laughs> so I was like, what? I'm supposed to have my whole future and decades ahead of me. Um, and the medicines that we did have early on were very toxic. So a lot of people built resistance to future medicines. They got sick from those things. They developed other side effects, things that couldn't be treated maybe. So it was very, very complicated um, and very desperate because there was no sense like, you know, you just start taking meds and it'll be fine. And then in 96, the cocktail, as we now call it, uh, became available and it was still early, but it seemed to be promising. And then as time went on, it was clearer and clearer that that worked. And right. so the lifespan now is, you know, it's considered a chronic manageable disease. Mm -hmm. So there's no more of this, you have two years to live or five years to live automatically death sentence sort of language. Um, that said, I think that taking medicine is still not easy. Right. And I think that if we get away from the science, there's still a lot of stigma. There's a lot of other stuff around HIV. But for sure, the scientists have been doing their work and doing very well. <laughs> and now we have a whole new um, issue of people who are long-term survivors like myself, who've had HIV for 20, 30, 40 years, and we're all getting old. And we never thought we would. <laughs> it's both wonderful, but also kind of like, what does this mean? And um, it's a fascinating thing to go through. Right. It's also challenging because we don't really know, like, what's the impact of all the medications for all these years. Mm -hmm. There's some scientists that think that for all of the years you were not on treatment, it ages you an extra six months. So in my case... I would be like in my late sixties, even though I'm not actually 60 yet. Okay. So my body is, um, is perhaps aging faster than like my sisters. It's a very strange thing and nobody really knows, but science has definitely done great things and it's much, much better now than in 92 and people who have tested positive should absolutely feel confident that the drugs work. They really do make a difference. So thanks for putting that out. I mean, this is the first time I am talking to someone with who is HIV AIDS positive. Uh, and you mentioned stigma in your uh, mem uh, memoir just now. So coming to the stigma itself, uh, like uh, you worked with UNAIDS starting since 1986. And mm -hmm. the first person probably to have been openly HIV positive and then joined the UNAIDS program and then but still there was the stigma attached to the uh, daily living uh, daily life that you had and then you had this work that you were doing so where was this whole uh, story weaving around I mean how did your family take it and then um, my family for the most part were really great I have to say that you know, again, it was scary times and nobody knew and they all thought I was going to die and I thought I was going to die and eventually we will all die. But at the time it was a, it was a 
very complicated time for my family, but my siblings in particular were just spectacular. They have been there and they are still there to support me. Um, I had some friends who were not so great, who I told and they cried and they said, I'm so sorry to hear that. And then I never saw them again. Um, and I think even to this day, 30 something years later, I still find it hard to tell people, which is ridiculous because I've written a whole book about it, right? It's not like it's a secret, <laughs> but I still have this fear on a one-to-one -one level that I will be you know, rejected or people will see me differently because I think that that happens. You know, and I found that with my work that I would go and lead a training, for example, and I was, you know, the, the person sent from New York headquarters to do a training in a country. Great. And that was all great. And the minute I disclosed that I had HIV, then suddenly everything changed. People looked at me differently and they're like, who is this woman? She's not, she's not who I expect to be the person with HIV. Yeah. Um, so on one hand, it was good. It was challenged people's stereotypes, but on the other hand, I definitely felt people changed the way that they interacted with me. Um, I feel it less today. And I don't know if that's because I'm older and I just don't care anymore <laughs> what people think, or if I'm used to it, or if society truly has changed. I would like to think that society has started to change and that people are much more accepting and sort of realize it's a virus. Viruses don't discriminate. People shouldn't either. Um, I'm not 100% we're totally there yet, but we're, we're closer than we were, I think. In terms of uh, the efforts that the community is making, uh, in terms of the efforts that you people have been making in trying to create awareness about, around this, um, we talk about prevention strategies, we talk about engagement, we talk about initiatives that the UN is taking. But then what truly drives uh, the idea into people's mind? What do you think is the one thing that uh, drives the idea into people's mind? Is it the fear or is it actually the feeling of community that, okay, there are people living with us with this? That's a good question. I mean, I do you mean what drives the stigma or what? I mean, uh, there's one thing that's driving the stigma, but there's one thing that's driving consideration in people's mind that, okay, we have to have some consideration and they're also equals. Like we should not be treating these people differently. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think there, um, the really important thing is to for people to stand up and say, I have HIV and put a face to the statistics. And of course, that's really hard to do. And it's a hard thing to ask people to do because once you tell people, you cannot get that information back. It's out there. But the more people do that, the more people disclose their status, the more normal it becomes. The less you're like that one strange person in the crowd, it's, it's sort of like, okay, this is normal. I know people. They know people. We all know people. It's not the end of the world. Um, so I think that that is the thing that really starts to shift minds because once you know a person with HIV, unless you're 
some sort of a terrible monster, you kind of like, oh, okay, now I know a person with HIV and it's really not a big deal. I either like the person or I don't like the person, but it's not because they have HIV. It's because it's just who they are, right? And so the more people can interact and also have people with HIV represented in media, for example, in movies, in TV shows and plays, the more it becomes normal that people just see this is just something people have. And then it's less frightening to think about it yourself and to talk about it with others. And I think that makes a big difference. And and I also noticed in my years as a trainer with the UN that like one way to always get people to open up to being in a training was to say that even if you don't need this information yourself, it will help you to teach the children in your life, whether your own kids or brothers or sisters or some other kids that you care about. And as soon as you like, just shift the, the focus a little bit off of the individual, then they feel more like, okay, I'll listen to this. I'll be in the room with people with HIV because it's really for the benefit of the other people, the kids that I care about. Um, that made a huge difference as well. And so we go step back and say, <laughs> how did we deal with the stigma here? I mean, there was something that was happening 20 years ago and there's something that's happening today. And through the COVID-19 pandemic, um, there was one stigma that was associated with the people who were suffering with the coronavirus. And then there's the added stigma that comes with the, the uh, immunodeficiency syndrome. So where does do these two stigmas collide? Uh, probably because it's like you want to say that there is fear in people's mind. Okay, I might get it. But you actually don't just get it, right? I mean, you don't just acquire the whole disease. So how did you deal with this? Uh... Yeah, you know, that's a, it's an interesting um, thing to think about that, as you said, the way that, you know, you can just get COVID because you were in an elevator with somebody who has it or a small room, whatever, right? Office or school. HIV is not like that. You have to work much harder to get HIV. <laughs> Um, it is only through um, bodily fluids that are not transmitted in the air. So there's a very big difference there. Um, and yet, I think that uh, the stigma where it overlaps is maybe in the long COVID. Mm -hmm. Because now there are people who had COVID, like a gazillion other people, but aren't better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where maybe it overlaps more than anything because then they become people who people see as sick. And the minute somebody sees you as a person who is sick, as disabled, then you are something other because they don't want to be sick. They don't want to be disabled. And so they sort of like put up a little bit of a wall or they think that you are less capable um, to just be in the world. You know, the fact that you might need special accommodations suddenly becomes a hassle for other people rather than just saying, okay, this person is just as bright and smart and capable as they used to be. We just need to give them, you know, a little bit of leeway if they need to be five minutes late for work or something like that. You know, the, those sorts of things, I think that um, 
those are commonalities between any kind of serious long-term illness. Um, another place where it sort of overlaps, not exactly stigma, but kind of stigma is that we still don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, we don't have the answers for everything, but for example, if a person has some kind of a cancer in theory, we know that we can treat them with uh, chemotherapy. We could do radiation. It should work. The person hopefully goes into remission. There's sort of a a lot logical plan that we know about. With COVID, nobody has a clue how to deal with the long-term effects. And HIV, we still, we know a lot more than we do about COVID, but we still don't know that much. We're still figuring it out as we go along. And, you know, there's still a lot of research being done. Things we still don't know about women's bodies, if they react differently in the long-term to the medications or how menopause impacts things. There are a lot of things that we're still researching and living with something that people don't understand presents its own sort of stigma of, I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know what the language is to deal with this. Um, and I think that those those are a couple of ways that it overlaps in my mind. And have you ever been treated as, because you mentioned the word disabled, have you ever been treated uh, as a person with some disability just because you mentioned that you have AIDS? Yeah, I mean, I have, um, long before I ever had any illness associated with HIV, definitely people were sort of like, I was a frail little delicate flower that was going to break if they, you know, sneezed or something. <laughs> it um, People... Yeah, people, you know, suggested that I used to travel a lot with the UN for my job, for example. And people would say things like, you know, I assume you always get a wheelchair when you're in the airport and I can still walk. I just have HIV, (laughs) you know, and and it's a great thing that people can do that. But I didn't need it at the time. If I ever do, I will be the first one to get one. But there was an assumption that because I had HIV, I must already be sick. And even if I wasn't demonstrating it, people were like almost trying to make me act like I was sick. Um, And that was a very strange thing to happen because I was in my 20s and early 30s when I was first dealing with all of this. And, you know, logically in our brains, that doesn't happen till you're 70 or something. Right. And so people were treating me like I was, like I was just damaged. You know, there was something wrong with me. I, I needed something extra when I really just needed people to treat me like a normal person. Right. So when we talk about your 20s and 30s, there are a lot of people dealing with it. There are some kids that are born with it. That's a different whole story altogether. Mm -hmm. But then somebody who's uh, contracted it just right now, I mean, in recent, uh, in the recent past, what would be your one or two uh, tidbits to give them probably for the life ahead or something that you would want to tell your uh, younger self? I know if you mm-hmm. got that question earlier or not, but. Um, yeah, I actually wrote a whole play um, about talking to my younger self, like writing a letter to myself from mm-hmm. me now to Martina, who's just testing positive. Um, and I, I think that what I would say to myself and to somebody testing now would be 
um, absolutely try and find other people living with HIV. You don't necessarily have to go public and be, you know, a spokesperson, but find other people living with HIV uh, either in person or virtually, because getting to know other people will help you understand things that they have gone through that maybe are similar. It will help you know that you're not alone. It will give you somebody who can you could talk to who understands the same things that you're dealing with. And that's really important because even the best intended friends and family, they don't really get it unless they have been through that particular thing. So finding other people with HIV makes a huge difference. And then the other thing I think would be to educate yourself uh, because there's so much information out there, but you need to make sure you get the right information. Um, but make sure that you know what the disease is, how it manifests, so you can watch out for things yourself, but also so you can make sure your doctor is um, doing what they need to be doing. Because sometimes if they're not a specialist, they might dismiss you. They might think, oh, this is not that important or treat you wrong, in which case you should feel empowered because you have the knowledge to say, you know what, I need a new doctor things like that. So it's really important to find a community of people with HIV and find as much information as you can so you can manage your own healthcare uh, efficiently. Great. Um, probably one of the last questions that I'd put to you, but let's talk about your book, uh, Your Unexpected Life. <laughs> uh, what's one thing that people should look forward to when reading it? Oh, a lot of travel. <laughs> it's, um, I think if there, the sort of very short version is that it's about my life with HIV, but also how I ended up kind of unexpectedly, hence the title, uh, working at the United Nations very early on and having a career that I had never imagined I would have, which uh, led me to so much travel. I've into I think 90 more than 90 countries um which is a privilege and so some of the stories are funny about some of the travel stuff but also about how uh, a small group of us when I started working for UNICEF a few years after UNAIDS um, a group of us from other organizations in the UN we actually created an internal HIV education program internal to the United Nations systems to educate all staff and personnel all over the world and you know in 120 countries and it was a massive undertaking but to me what i hope the reader takes away is that one person plus one person plus one person even just a small group of people who are stubborn and determined <laughs> they can actually make a difference and make a change for the better i think that's the important thing is that even when you're confronting what seems like the most impossible scenario, you can still change the way that the world is around you and make it better for other people and yourself. Okay. Now, this is a question just that just came up in my mind. Uh, mm -hmm. like, what's the one difference that you think that your life has made in the world? I mean, it's a huge question to ask, but I don't know how yeah. I... That my life has made. I, I think. I, I think my if I've done anything, it is that, and again, this is in large part because I was afforded the opportunity to be in so many different places. 
But I think meeting other people with HIV in countries, um, and even here, meeting other people with HIV who had never met another person with right. HIV who thought they were alone, like I had thought I was alone, I think that giving them the chance to feel connected, that's what made a difference and maybe shifted a few people's lives. I hope so anyway. That's a great way to put it. I mean, I couldn't think about something that, uh, I mean, from one person to having dealt with so many people and spreading the message around and creating these sense of community is probably the most important thing probably. And then I'm from my little perspective that I have on this issue, I just uh, want to say that uh, I hope I did not uh, ask you a question that probably hurt you or something. Just Oh, no, this has been great. Uh, thanks a lot. I mean, thanks a lot for joining me in and on this episode of, uh, I call it What's the Day, uh, simply because every new day brings a new perspective. Every new day has a different purpose to what the whole world is bringing to it. Today, it was World AIDS Day. Tomorrow, it could be banks or probably some other uh, disease and things like that, because a yeah. lot of things coming up in the world. So Absolutely. once again, thanks a lot for uh, joining me in. And for the listeners, uh, do leave your comments. And if you have anything else in your mind, if you want some other day to be talked about, we'll probably bring it up next time. Thanks a lot for joining. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. Bye.